Our gospel lesson this morning will come from John's gospel. From John chapter 1, we're going to be reading verses 29 through 42 of John chapter 1. And I invite you to stand as you are able in body or in spirit for the reading of our gospel lesson. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, he being John the Baptist, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is he of whom I said, after me comes one who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard this, and they followed Jesus. When, they turned and, when, he turned, when Jesus saw, turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teachers, teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. One of the um, joys of uh, getting to um, have served all over the state of Mississippi is I tend to know folks from uh, pretty much everywhere. It's become a running joke when we uh, do our confirmation interviews. With confirmation, we actually have a conversation with every uh, every student that wants to be confirmed, just wanting to make sure they can articulate the faith in their own language, make sure they kind of know what they're getting into and have an understanding of what it means to be a Christian. We'll, we'll sit with them and talk with them and, and, um, and, and we'll have a conversation. And at some point, I'll look at the family and say, well, where are you from? And they'll say, wherever they're from. And I will, and it's become a running joke between Aaron and Brian. I always say, oh, would he know so-and-so? Well, yeah, I know a so-and-so. And then it winds up devolving to the fact that we usually either are almost cousins or almost kin to each other. Because it's Mississippi, y'all. We're all one degree away from being kin to each other. Seriously. I, you know, I, I joke, that's why I had to marry somebody from Lloyd Star to make sure I wasn't kin to them. You know, just it's the way it works. I, we had a, I'm trying to, I'm scanning the crowd to make sure she's not in this, here this morning. We had a, a, a young lady coming to the church this week that's looking maybe to do a wedding here. And she mentioned she might worship with us at some point. And I said, okay, where, where are you from? Why well, from here? Where'd you go to school at? Southern Miss. Oh, cool. Well, do you know so-and-so? Yeah, I was a Dixie darling. Okay, well, do you know so-and-so? Okay. And literally I'm like, okay, well, I was her preacher. Like the person you're talking about, I was her preacher. I married her daughter. I buried her husband. Okay. You know, just it's Mississippi. We all know each other. That's just how it works. Um, I've often said, when you read the Bible and you study the Old Testament, my joke is always that the Jewish people in the Old Testament were the first Southerners. Because as Southerners, three things matter to us. One is we love to tell stories. I mean, you know, who doesn't like to sit outside on the swing with a cup of 
coffee or a glass of tea and just tell stories about whatever. We like to tell stories. With the Jewish people, you go through all the Old Testament, you go through all the Jewish legends. They love telling stories. That's just part of what made their culture the way it was. One of the other things that matters uh, to the Jewish people was, uh, well, who's your mom and them? I mean, how many genealogies are in the Old Testament, y'all? It's full of, the old, it's full of genealogies. They're all, it always matters who their people are, you know, who your mom and them are. That's a big deal. It's a big deal to us. Well, how, how's your mom and them? How, how, you know, it, it matters to us. Family and, fi- and family history and heritage matters greatly to us in the South. But the last thing is, well, where's your land at? Because, you know, we all got land back at the old home place. Or if we don't, we're mad that somebody got it that we didn't. You know, it's just part of life in the South. It's part of what makes our culture a little different, a little unique. And so it's interesting to me to always find those similar commonalities when I look at the Jewish people in the Scripture. For instance, today's text is one of those texts that has just always, always, always been so interesting to me. And then I think when you understand it in context, it helps make a little bit more sense. First, we have this, this beautiful scene. Last week was baptism of the Lord Sunday. We talked about baptism and why Jesus was baptized. John gives us one of the answers here is so that Jesus could be revealed to Israel. We see for John the importance of this. But the, and, and Jenny hit on this during, during the children's moment. John's disciples, two of his disciples, like, leave him to follow Jesus. Wouldn't that make you mad? You know, two people you poured into, two people you helped out, two people you taught, left you to go somewhere else? Really? That might irritate me a little bit. Might irritate you a little bit. Didn't irritate John, you know why? He understood his place. He understood what his purpose was. He understood that he was not the Messiah, that he did not come to save the world, but he came so that all the world would know who Jesus Christ is. John has this great verse in the Gospels where he says, I must increase and he must decrease. The more we make our life about ourselves and our pride and our wants and our stuff, the more likely we are to be angered or offended hurt when someone else chooses a different path or someone else disagrees with us or someone else even does something that we would not do. John understood that the entire point of his life and of his existence was to point other people to Jesus. So when his disciples left him to follow Jesus, guess what John thought? Well, I've done my job. I've pointed them to Jesus and they've actually done what they're supposed to do. John understood his purpose. And when we understand our purpose, when we understand what we're here for, and we understand what God has us here for, then it helps everything else make sense. If I'm spending my life trying to glorify me and make sure that I'm the top dog and make sure that it's all about me, I'm going to get irritated when folks don't give me the praise that I think I'm due. John understood his place in God's economy. And his job was to point others to Jesus. So for John, something that might have, could have irritated him if he wasn't better, actually was a fulfillment of his mission. He had pointed these folks to Jesus. So now, these disciples come to Jesus. And do you notice 
what they asked Jesus. Isn't it such an interesting question, what they asked Jesus? In the text, it says, it says in the text, the question they asked Jesus is this. Rabbi, where are you staying? What an odd question. <laughs> I mean, of all the questions they could have asked Jesus. Rabbi, they called him rabbi, meaning that they understood that he was a teacher. They understood who he was. They could have asked him, Rabbi, because think about all the folks in the Bible that asked Jesus questions. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is the greatest of the commandments? How many times should I forgive others? Think of all the myriad of questions that people ask Jesus. When you read the Gospels, it's like Jesus' whole life was a question and answer session. I mean, there's always folks come to Jesus asking him questions, some legitimate trying to learn, others trying to trip him up. He's asked so many questions throughout Scripture. But I think it's best in my recollection, in my reading, that's the only time he's ever been asked, where are you staying? I mean, what, are you trying to deliver pizza? I mean, what an odd question. Where are you staying? I just, I love sometimes in the Bible, one of the coolest things in the Bible is when you're reading and you read something, you're like, that doesn't make a lick of sense. What is that about? That's when studying the Bible gets fun because it's in there. As my, as my mentor, Sam Morris used to always say, there's nothing in there by accident. So if it's in there, it's in there for a purpose. So what is the purpose that we're, that, that these disciples are trying to find out by asking this question. And then what is the purpose that John, the apostle, is trying to make to us by including that within this story? Well, it kind of goes back to what we talked about initially. Who's your mom and them? Where's your land at? When I tell you I'm from Bogachetta, that has a certain meaning to it. Small town, everybody knew each other, not a whole lot going on. Um, we got a river, a truck stop. Let's just say it's not exactly Las Vegas, okay? So that meant I most likely grew up a certain way, certain beliefs, certain understandings. Where I'm from greatly impacts my understanding of life. Sure, that's exactly right. That's true for all of us. So in, in all my years of ministry, one of my favorite places that I've ever served is the Delta. Love the Delta. Love my five years up there. Sarah was born there. Very special place to me and my family. Nobody tells you, well, I'm from Greenville. Well, they might. They might say, I'm from Greenville or I'm from Arcola or I'm from Pantherburn. No, what are they going to say? I'm from the Delta. Where from? Oh, well, I'm from Pantherburn, or oh, I'm from Nittyuma, or I'm from wherever. I was trying to think of the most random Delta names of towns I could think of. If you know where Nittyuma is, then uh, you know the Delta. That has a significance, doesn't it? I mean, that has, a, that has a significance to how they were raised. That has a significance to what they understand. That has a significance to how they live. Okay, I've got a cousin from Homa. Okay? That's south of New Orleans, where I didn't think anything existed. But to be raised in Homa 
has to it certain meanings of life and things you like to eat and things you like to do and who you root for in school and who you root for in football. I mean, being from there has with it certain meanings. Where you're from has with it both good connotations and sometimes negative connotations. Remember one of the things that happened to Jesus? When they say he's from Nazareth, what does one of the guys say? Well, nothing good can come from Nazareth. So on one level, when they ask Jesus where he's from, they're asking him about, well, where did you live? How did that shape where you are? Because if you, if you are from Galilee, well, that's, that's rural Redneckville. You know, at one point you may remember Peter in, in, the, uh, in the temple whenever he denies Jesus. One of the guys realized that Peter was one of Jesus' followers because he had that, he spoke like he was from Galilee. That's like saying you got a southern accent. So there's a certain connotation, being from Galilee. Oh, you're from Jerusalem. Oh, you're from Jerusalem. Let me extend my pinky when I drink my tea then. Oh, you're from the, you're from the, the Dead Sea area. Oh, okay. Well, you know, wow, you're tough. Every area of Israel, just like every area of Mississippi or every area of the state, is going to have with it a certain, a certain connotation. That's part of what that means. But secondly, I think more importantly, when he asked Jesus, where are you staying? In that culture, in that context, there is a, um, a community, a, 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 a intimacy, if you will, that comes from being invited into someone's home. When you have entered into someone's home to this day, um, your family. Uh, I was introduced to a friend of Sam's, one of our last trips there, and this, this gentleman lives on the Mount of Olives. And one of the things he tells Sam's friends when they come to visit his home is that, well, you know I'll have a place to stay if you ever come back. There's no need for you to get a hotel. You can stay with me and my family. And he means it. He isn't joking. He isn't just being nice. He means it. So when, when the disciple asks, where are you staying? He's basically asking Jesus, I want to know you. I want to understand you. I want to know exactly who you are. Because, because my old boss, John, he said, you are the lamb who came to take away the sins of the world. And when you walked by, he said, there goes the lamb of God. And that's what my old boss said. But I want to know for myself. I want to know who you really are. Where are you staying on the surface, looks like a random, bizarre, just odd question to ask Jesus. But actually, this question cuts to the heart. He's basically asking Jesus, who are you? Who are you? And what did Jesus say? Come and see. Come and see. So this disciple goes with Jesus. And Jesus teaches him. And Jesus shows him who he is. And then what, is hap what happens? This disciple then goes back and says, I have found the Messiah of the world. 
Once he understood who Jesus was, once he truly understood the divinity and the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, then he went and told others. Like Jenny said this morning during the children's message, you know, you see somebody famous in town, you can't wait to tell others about it. I put it like this. How many of you that are hunters, you kill the big buck you've been looking at, looking for? You keep that to yourself? No. You tell everybody. You tell folks who don't even like hunting. You tell everybody. You can't wait to show it off. You mount the head. You got it on your Facebook profile pic. Got more pictures of that deer than you do young grandkids. I mean, you can't wait to tell folks about that deer you killed. Yeah, that's natural. You get a good deal shopping. You can't wait to show off. I ate a good hamburger somewhere. I'm going to be talking about it. We do that. Yeah, that's what we do. We like to brag on our experiences and let other folks know what we've experienced. Do we do the same for Jesus? Do we do the same for Jesus? Do we truly know who he is? Have we truly tasted his goodness? Have we truly understood the depth of his mercy and of his love and of his grace? Have we truly encountered our Savior in the same way that these disciples did? Because when these disciples truly, totally, and completely encountered Jesus, they could not help but tell others about him. They could not help but go and say, come, we have met the one who is the Messiah of the world. Come, we have met the one who has come to save the people from their sins. Come, we have come, we have met the one who was promised to us by David. We have met the one who has come from God himself to save us. And they told the world, and they didn't just tell the friends right now, but there's going to come a time in their life after the resurrection when these same disciples, who if you follow the gospels, Half the time get it wrong, and the other half the time are cowards. Let's not pretend like the disciples got a good batting batting average during the Gospels, because they usually don't. But there's going to come a time after the resurrection when they're in the temple preaching about Jesus who has come to save the world from its sins. And they're going to be told, hey, guys, uh, you need to cut that out. You need to cut that out or else. When they respond, no, we don't come seeking the approval of humans, but we seek the approval of God. And they get up and proclaim it louder and louder and louder and louder. And then they don't just proclaim it in Jerusalem, but they go to India and to Persia and to all over, all over Europe, to Spain. Some even believed even to England. They take this good news of this Messiah and they proclaim it all around the world. Because they've tasted his goodness. Because they understand his goodness. They understand his mercy. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. He loves us more than our sins. He loves us more than our mistakes. He loves us more than our weakness. He loves us more than our frailties.
And this, wor- this world is going to tell you that your worth is going to come from what you got or who you know or what's in your bank account or what your address is or all these myriad of things that in and of themselves are not bad, but that do not define us. Whereas Jesus tells us, fear not, I have called you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, they'll not overwhelm you. When you pass through the fires, they'll not consume you. Now, they may feel like they might. <laughs> you may be like, Lord, this, this rain needs to stop some point because I can't much swim. But he's promised us that that, rain, that water will not consume us. And that flame will not overtake us. For he is the Lord, our God. This morning, have you truly tasted that? Do you truly know where he's from? Do you truly understand the depth of his mercy towards you? And if you do, if you do understand that, then who have you told about it? Who have you told about it? Always, you've heard, I haven't quoted this stat in a while, but I always tell it when I preach revivals and everybody laughs. But uh, the average United Methodist invites one person to church every 38 years. And so for us, if we've tasted the goodness of God, if we've tasted his mercy and his forgiveness, if we find our worth in him, drink in deep to that. But then the next question is this. Well, who have you told about it? Who have you told about it? May we know our Savior deeply and fully. And may we tell all the world about him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your mercy, for your grace, and for your goodness. We love you, God. Be with us now and be with us always. We ask it in Jesus' sweet and holy name. Amen.